resting yet. My invincible sleepers will carry on for me. Sleepers? Even now, they lay hidden somewhere in Europe, waiting for the signal 20 years from now, when they will awake. What are the sleepers? Where are they hidden? Talk, talk. There are three sleepers. And when they awake, 20 years from now, the Red Skull will rise again. Hey there, and welcome to Marvel by the Month. My name is Brian Stratton. And mine is Rob Milne. Rob, uh, I feel like this is our, our weekly check-in. First of all, we, <laughs> we both showed up for the uh, the phone call, um, so that's positive. We're not so unstuck in time uh, that we weren't able to call in uh, when we needed to call in. So um, I'm going to count that as a win. Yeah, that's at least a bronze medal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what yeah, Barb calls me bronzy because um, <laughs> I achieve the minimum requirements when we're playing video games to pass to a next level almost any time, but never... Rarely is it anything more. If I get a silver, I call it a double bronze. Talking as someone who used to have to 100% games for his job, um, I actually take tremendous delight now in sitting down and playing a game and just doing just minimum viable performance to get to the next part of the game. <laughs> so, yeah, I've been doing a weirdly. Um, that's been one of my things keeping me sane is playing. I've been playing a game called Days Gone by, oh, yeah. uh, by Ben Studios. It's a... Uh, and it's it's great. It takes place in Eastern Oregon, and there's all these beautiful scenery. It's like Red Dead Redemption, but you're a biker, and there's like tweaker zombies. So it's pretty fun. Um, I would I highly recommend it. It's a uh, been taking my mind off of this uh, silent and invisible apocalypse, uh, <laughs> so I can run around in a real one. You're, um, yeah, you're playing a much <laughs> more interesting apocalypse. Hey, uh, you know who uh, is actually a big fan of apocalyptic video games um, is our friend uh, J.L. Watkins, uh, who wow. you know helped us out with the audio for our live show and and has been a guest on the show before. Um, let's just uh, let's bring him into the podcast um, and then maybe we can talk about video games a little bit um, and with then magic. Maybe, yeah, I mean, whatever. Let's I, magically bring him in. Look, he, he, he's. He can't be up to anything else right now. I mean, like, where is he going to be other than you know, <laughs> at his home with his studios? So, um, hey, JL, are you there? Oh, hey, guys. Oh, Hold on hey. one sec. I need to pause my PlayStation. I'm playing apocalyptic video games. Oh, <laughs> that is so funny. It works. Are you still playing uh, Fallout 76? <laughs> no, but, you know, they actually updated it recently. Uh, it was too bleak for a while, and that's not <laughs> what I need right now. So. It's actually I've been playing a lot of Animal Crossing. It's the quite opposite, quite the opposite. Oh yeah, I think I, uh, nice. I, I I've been playing a lot of Switch uh, with my son. Got through some Mario Odyssey and uh, the remake of Link's Awakening and and stuff like that. He's um, getting into Minecraft now, so I think I I see you pop in and out on Am Animal Crossing. I don't pop out very often. I'm just mostly pop in and stay there all day. <laughs> well, people can't tell during conference calls that I have a switch just below the webcam. It looks like I'm <laughs> typing or really just listening intently. But meanwhile, I'm like fishing and stuff. It's fantastic. Have you been staying inside? Have you been reading comics? Oh yeah, quite a bit. You know, it's funny. Yeah. I've been going through the pile of, of modern day comics, uh, yes. trying to whittle it down. I think what's really helped is nothing new is coming out. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm the, it's, uh, I've been able to just kind of keep working on it. And um, I have, I don't know if I've talked about this before. I have a shame pile. 
<laughs> and it's when I go to the comic book store and buy the same issue twice because I don't <laughs> oh. keep track of them. And so, uh, man, I, I should just bring my shame pile to you guys because there's like issue <laughs> ones of so many comics or like there's there's one. I forgot what comic it is. There's three like variants. I blame variant covers a lot yes, of times because yeah. I'm like, oh, I don't have the one with this on it. But um, I have this app now where I scan every comic. And so, um, the you know, and so now I can I know that I have it. It'll tell me. Right. But that is the only if I scan the comics, which is the other point of failure. Yeah. Here's another thing I do when I do that. I, I buy mainly just collections now, but um, even then I've bought Saga number one at least three times. Um, and I when I do, this was, you know, right when it came out and then I had it sitting in a pile, bought it again. Uh, but those all become gifts, even if it's... Um, so let's say I just gave my friend saga number two and nine of the collection. Right, yeah, volume seven. <laughs> <laughs> so every friend gets a random, sometimes they get a one, but usually for their birthdays um, in what we collectively call a box of crap, which is how our friends, um, it's mostly crap and there's some good things inside of it, but you have to sift through like old toothbrushes and things, but um, included in the, in most of them now for our friends is a, is a comic and it's just because of that shame pile. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Jail, generally, how is, uh, how's this whole thing going for you? You've got two kids at home, one of whom's a middle schooler. So, that's a yeah. whole different world. Well, it's funny because she's like kind of a preteen and like just wants to stay in her room all day. Oh, wow. And listen to, you know, whatever, you know, FaceTime. And then my son doesn't want to go outside. He's a homebody. And I'm, I'm a video editor, so I'm already at home all the time working. Like I was, I was born into this. I'm so yeah. prepared. Yes. So like I work for a big mega corp, uh, in video stuff, but I, I'm a remote employee already. So I have an edit suite at home. So it hasn't, a, other than like just not being able to go spend a bunch of money at target on the weekend, which we love to do. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, you know, it's, it hasn't been too bad. Yeah. That's, that's kind of how we've been feeling as well in our home. Jack is, he's, he's doing great. We did uh, Christmas for his birthday last week. Um, I'm endlessly impressed with how resilient little kids can be. He's definitely doing better than uh, anyone else in the house uh, with the whole thing. And and for me, it's like, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just over it. You know, like yeah. I, I would also like to be able to go out and, and do things like I'd like to go you know, hang out with my friends at a bar or do some karaoke or something like that. Or just do this in person. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. That would be nice. Um, our, our, we, well, we Barb started a list that I add to, but it's things that we want to do when uh, I think this whole thing blows over is what it says. Something, you know, like a Shaun of the Dead reference. But right. um, uh, and my my few contributions are stuff like go to the horse brass and drink one too many pints and uh you know just <laughs> all of my dreams are very pedestrian they're they're so easily attainable one of the uh one of the schemes we're working on um right now and i think it's pretty feasible um even if you know we're we're still in the situation um for a little while longer uh so like right as the whole lockdown thing started we wound up getting an outdoor screen and just like a cheap projector so that we could do backyard movies and we have a a decent sized backyard not huge but decent sized um so jack's had a friend over to watch a movie and you know they're able to be like you know 10 feet away but they can watch the same movie and they can like you know talk to each other and, and stuff like that so my goal is as we're heading into the nice weather um to set up rock band outside and then just do like outdoor rock band, like socially responsible, socially distanced rock band. Huh, nice. Yeah. That sounds fun. Yeah. 
one of my things I've been doing for the seven o'clock is bringing up different drums, mm. <laughs> like full floor tom from my like a giant floor tom from my drum set and just playing it for a while uh, and a series of cowbells. And then the other day we were like, maybe one day we should just bring the entire drum set onto the balcony and just <laughs> really make the dr- the whole neighborhood just extremely sad, except for the one person who will you know, inevitably yell free bird, of course. Right. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, gentlemen, I'm, I'm glad, uh, everyone's doing, you know, at least bronze, uh, so far. Um, we're making it through another week, which is great. Let's kick this thing off. Um, and, uh, and do as we always do and, and kind of give a, a little historical context, uh, for the month of comics that we're going to be talking about. So, uh, all the books that we read for this month, um, uh, they were released in September 1965. They had cover dates of November and December 65. Uh, if you're looking for them on Marvel Unlimited, uh, I just want to start this out with a little footnote. Um, so there was an awful lot of bummer news from Vietnam um, in uh, September 1965, as there basically is every month from now until you know 1973 or 74 or whatever. Um, but uh, I think you know, in light of everything else that's going on in 2020 let's just give ourselves a month off from talking about vietnam in september 65 (laughs) um and just uh get started on uh all the other things that were going on in the world if that sounds okay to you that sounds just fine sweet uh so rob do you want to kick us off with uh some real happy (laughs) news from uh india and pakistan sure the uh speaking of war or police action this is actual war uh the indo-pakistani war of 1965 began on september 1st at 3 30 in the morning local time when pakistan executed a surprise attack to capture the town of aknor in jammu it ended with the united nations security council brokered ceasefire on september 23rd so that's a pretty fast uh, 22 days of war. Yeah. You know, I that sure beats the the other unmentionable Vietnam uh, this time. Yeah. No, they, they got into it. They got out of it. And, you know, it would flare up again and again and again over the next 50 years. <laughs> but uh, en- en- enmity ensues. And then uh, on the 1st of September 1965, the People's Republic of China uh, created the Tibet Autonomous Region. Um, giving the conquered Buddhist kingdom of Tibet limited authority on matters of education and language policy and a Tibetan member of the Chinese Communist Party as the regional chairman. So um, I don't know if you remember uh, the Doctor Strange movie um, that Marvel put out and how, uh, you know, the the ancient one in the comics um, is like clearly identified as being from Tibet. Um, and then when they made the movie, uh they very carefully avoided any mention of Tibet um, or is it part of China or is it not part of China? Um, because that's been a, a very touchy situation uh, over there for quite some time. Yeah, that's, that makes more sense. I knew, I knew there was this, uh, you know, sort of revisionist method in order to make sure China would play your movie. So right. Yeah. That is another, another uh, loss. Um, well, on the 5th of September, the word hippie first appeared in print, oh. uh, a word I've I've heard quite often, uh, <laughs> in an article in the San Francisco Examiner by reporter Michael Fallon, who was writing a series about the Haight-Ashbury neighborhood 
Five untroubled young hippies sprawled on floor mattresses and slouched in an armchair retrieved from a debris box, flipped cigarette ashes at a seatbelt in their Waller Street flat and pondered their next move, is what Fallon wrote. So, yes, the hippies have landed and uh, they will be making their way into Marvel Comics in the not too distant future. On the 9th of uh, September, uh, Hurricane Betsy roared ashore near New Orleans at 7 in the evening with winds of 145 miles an hour. Ultimately, Betsy would leave behind 76 deaths. The storm was the first hurricane to cause more than $1 billion worth of destruction in 1965 dollars, giving it the nickname Billion Dollar Betsy. It would be the last major hurricane to strike New Orleans until Hurricane Katrina 40 years later. You remember when uh, Hurricane Katrina was like the worst managed disaster um, that a, <laughs> a administration had ever been responsible for? Wasn't that like a much better time to be alive? It seems quaint yeah. uh, and terror. It's still horrific in my mind, like uh, especially after watching all of Treme. But uh, yeah, it's still just... Yeah. Uh, also, also, if you haven't watched that show, it's worth it. Yes. Um, yeah. When you find yourself being nostalgic for Hurricane Katrina, you know that you're definitely <laughs> in the worst timeline. <laughs> oh, man. Um, well, on the 13th, Zach Richard Starkey was born to Ringo Starr and Maureen Starkey, the first of three children they would have together. Zach would go on to be a drummer like his father and played with a number of world famous acts, including The Who. Oasis and Johnny Marr. How about that? Yeah. So sort of Beatles by the month. Yeah. Yeah. Second generation Beatles by the month. Um, And then uh, on the 25th of September, at the age of 59, Satchel Paige became the oldest Major League Baseball player to appear in a game. He pitched three innings for the Kansas City Athletics against the visiting Boston Red Sox and allowed only one hit. Page, who had starred for the Kansas City Monarchs in the Negro American League before baseball's color ban had been lifted in 1947, had been away from the majors for 12 years before being signed to a one-game contract by athletics owner Charles O. Finley. You got to say Boston Red Sox. I got to say Boston Red Sox, so it's going to be a good episode. I feel it. Uh, so there's a bunch of new TV shows that debuted in September of 1965. I mean, it's September. Uh, That's what happens. So they included F Troop, um, a hilarious World War II German prison camp antics, um, Mm -hmm. uh, akin to Hogan's Heroes. Yes. Uh, My Mother the Car, a, quote, poorly received reincarnation fantasy comedy, according to Wikipedia. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Which I believe is literally about a guy's mom being reincarnated as like a model T Ford. You know, it's funny too. It's like, it was probably pretty innocent. You know, the mom honks, Oh mom, give it a break. <laughs> you know, and stuff like that. But like, if it was written today, it would be like, I'm going to go get inside my mom. And people are like, Oh, ha, ha. No, it'd be the worst. The, it'd still be the worst show. <laughs> it's just worst for different reasons. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Green acres. A fish-out-of-water comedy about city folk moving to the countryside, the reverse of the Beverly Hillbillies. Um, Lost in Space, a science fiction show starring child actor Bill Moomy, who would form the band Seduction of the Innocent years later and record a number of comics-themed songs, including a tribute to Jack Kirby called King Jack. Yeah, and then uh, other shows that premiered um, in September 65, you had I Spy, which was uh, the first American television drama 
to feature a black actor uh, in a lead role. Um, that actor was Bill Cosby. Uh, he hasn't been doing much lately. What's he up to these days? Oh, oh, Brian. Oh, oh Brian. Quarantine. <laughs> yeah. He's, simple answer. Exactly. Yeah. He's, he's Severe. been quarantined from society. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Uh, um, and then uh, let's see. What else? Uh, I Dream of Jeannie um, premiered in September 65, uh, starring uh, Barbara Eden's Naval. Uh, Get Smart, uh, another spy-themed comedy, because um, the spy stuff, you know, as we've talked about with Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., very, very popular at the time. Um, and that was basically like the first draft of the Inspector Gadget cartoon, um, because <laughs> yeah. that's basically exactly what that cartoon was based off of. Speaking of cartoons, The Beatles, a Saturday morning cartoon on ABC where each episode featured one Beatles song and built a story around it. Yeah. Uh, premiered. And uh, this is so such weird time because it's like a, the brief time when the Beatles are touring. Obviously, Ringo's having a kid. Um, everything. Er, the Beatles are mentioned within the comics we read this month at least twice. Yeah. Um, they're mentioned almost every month in one or more comics. Um, and it's, yeah, I, I've seen part of one of these, I think. And I now want to see all of them. Yeah. Um, it, it, it sounds both, you know, likely terrible, but maybe cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's yeah. ones that are like, I want to hold your hand. Um, wow. You really got to stretch to fill. Got to fill these 25 minutes. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I'm actually kind of shocked that I haven't seen any of these, but I presume it's got to be a rights issue. Like I, I bet it would just cost a fortune to, to air them now or, you know, for anyone to pick them up just because you have to license the music and the likenesses and all that. So, yeah, somebody may have got the rights or some tangle. I mean, if it was ABC, then, you know, presumably Disney owns it now. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. And then the Thunderbirds, um, the classic British sci-fi marionette show that inspired team America. Yes. Uh, um, that, that came out in September of 65 too. Yeah. So that's what the folks were watching on the television uh, while these comics were coming out. Um, so that sets the stage a little bit for September 65. We're going to go ahead and take our first break of the episode. Uh, and when we come back, uh, we are going to watch as young Peter Parker heads off to college. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back here on Marvel by the Month. <laughs> All right, welcome back to Marvel by the Month. Uh, the first comic that we're going to be talking about here that came out in September 1965 is Amazing Spider-Man number 31. The issue was written by Stan Lee. The plot and art was by Steve Ditko. Um, the story is called If This Be My Destiny. Um, and uh, our little boy's all grown up, and he's heading off to Empire State University. <laughs> uh, so just to kind of uh, set the stage a little bit, um, last month... Betty Brant revealed to Peter Parker that Ned Leeds, a reporter for the Daily Bugle, asked her to marry him. This led to Peter and Betty finally breaking up, which had been teased for a while. Um, and uh, don't be in any hurry to find out what Betty Brant's answer to Ned's marriage proposal is going to be. Uh, she doesn't actually give him an answer for another year. Um, it, <laughs> wow. It, yeah, it happens in <laughs> Spider-Man number 43. So um, like literally 12 months from this issue. Poor Ned. Yeah. But he hangs in there. And then also uh, in the previous issue, Spidey fought a cat burglar named Cat Burglar uh, who had a number of, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he had a number of purple jumpsuited henchmen working with him. 
Um, and Amazing Spider-Man 31, the issue we're talking about today, uh, starts out with these exact same henchmen stealing an atomic device from a manufacturing plant. The cops and Spider-Man try to stop them, but they blast them with sleep gas and get away. Um, and we see that the leader of the henchmen, known only as the mysterious Master Planner, is hiding out in his underwater lair and giving directions. Man, Master Planner is possibly the most boring. He could be called the spreadsheet or something. Um, <laughs> it's just such a dumb name. Although cat burglar does really take the cake. It sounds <laughs> like a guy who like gets appointed to work in like a windowless office in city hall. <laughs> and like, he's the guy you have to like get his signature. If you're going to, you know, put a new garage up on your property or something. But there's no time to worry about any of this stuff because uh, Peter Parker's got to register for college at Empire State University, which I'm pretty sure is supposed to be New York University. But, uh, you know, they just change it to make it you know, comic book friendly. Uh, when he gets home at the end of the day, uh, Aunt May faints. She has been hiding her latest illness from Peter. Um, and it's so severe that she has to go straight to the hospital. I love how there was like a little bit of action at the beginning of this. And then the rest of the issue is like. We're going to deal with some emotions. Yes. <laughs> there were so many. Uh, so there was suddenly so much to read. I thought this was going to be like a pretty solid just Spider-Man fighting a bunch of goons. Um, and it, and then suddenly I was like, oh, no, we're we're full on Ditko now. It's yep. just like word balloons and angst and anxiety and orientation at college and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Peter, he's got a lot going on. Um, he has a completely sleepless night between his worry about Aunt May and anticipation of college and all the other things that Peter Parker worries about on a daily basis. Um, but he, uh, he heads out to his first day of classes the next morning. Uh, he's stressed out, he's exhausted. Um, and that makes him seem like he's ignoring Flash Thompson, who's also going to ESU. Um, and, uh, his new college friends, Harry Osborne and Gwen Stacy. Um, and Gwen in particular seems pretty annoyed that Peter's not falling all over himself for her. Like every other guy she has ever met. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, uh, Harry decides to prank Peter in the chemistry lab. So college is basically starting out exactly like his high school life was. Yeah. He's, uh, I mean, it, it's just compounded normal Peter Parker problems. He, uh, he just appears to be really blowing everybody off and they're trying to like get his attention, invite him to things. Um, and then they even trying to pull a prank on him and distract him. He's too distracted to be distracted. Yeah. I also thought um, Gwen's character starts out a little abrasive, um, you know, relative to like where she winds up. She the character winds up being a lot more a lot sweeter and and i feel like more generous as she sort of evolves but like at this point she's just kind of uh she's just just really rough on him one note i think is where she says why the unmitigated nerve of him nobody gives gwen stacy the brush off that way yes you young man are going to regret that i promise and that that one panel i was like gwen I know I know a lot about your future, so trust yeah. me, everybody's going to regret this. Peter finishes his first day of college. He heads to the hospital to visit Aunt May. Uh, her doctor says that they don't know what's going on with her, but it's not good. And of course, money is so tight that Peter is considering quitting school to get a job so that he can take care of Aunt May's medical bills. Um, 
he goes out to try to grab some photos of Spider-Man, but he winds up coming up empty. Um, and he's been out all night. So now he's working on two days of almost no sleep um, as he heads into his third day of the story. Classic Parker. Yeah. And I think we've said this before, but like the way that he stresses out about money for Aunt May's medical bills really does kind of make him the most relatable character in comics to a 2020 audience. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's always like she's in the hospital. There's no way to pay for it unless I go sc- just scrounge up some cash. You know, uh, it's yep. every time. Yeah. Even his like to get the f- prescriptions filled. It is so oddly. Uh, yeah, it's it's so now. Um, so then meanwhile, uh, Frederick Foswell in his patch alter ego learns that there's going to be a robbery uh, that evening on a pier. Um, he doesn't have enough evidence to go to the cops with it. So he flags down Spider-Man that next night and he tells him about it. So, of course, Spidey checks it out. There's more purple jumpsuit henchmen um, trying to rob a ship on the pier. Um, they try to gas Spidey again. There's a lot of gas uh, in this issue. Um, but uh, Peter built a filter into his mask to protect himself and others. If you go out in public, wear a face mask. Just a little public service announcement from your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Yeah, we'll need to definitely share uh, that that panel with him yes. uh, revealing his, his mask, his protective filter mask underneath his normal Spider-Man mask. Yeah, he was 55 years ahead of the game. <laughs> um, so yeah, Spidey runs off the crooks who flee for the water as soon as the cops approach, but with all the excitement and the sleep deprivation, um, Peter didn't snap any pictures for Jameson. So he didn't catch the bad guys. He didn't get any photos to make any money. Aunt May is still very sick. Um, so, you know, typical Parker luck. Totally ostracized at school already two yep. days in. And yeah, the story ends in a cliffhanger. Two doctors are reviewing Aunt May's lab results and they're not good. Um, they're going to rerun the tests, but they're not optimistic. One of them says the poor woman can't last much longer. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> And that's our cliffhanger. So, yeah. Uh, what do you guys uh, feel about this issue? What, what are your takeaways from it? Well, I definitely I'm, you can tell by the cover because they always like this is a really special issue of Spider-Man. There's always this. And that's how I've, I've come to realize that's code for there's going to be some emotional stuff that average comic book readers don't want to look at look at <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, like, yeah, I, and it's funny. And as I read the comic, it's funny because Flash is like this character that I somehow I picture 60s teenage boys sounding like like oh wise guy Peter Parker you know like I don't know why uh-huh. so I pictured them like oh this issue so stupid lame Parker blah 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 anyway um but if you but I also look at it like you know he's getting bullied again he's like nothing everything's going wrong and um it definitely was speaking to somebody you know there's kids that are you know even adults probably that are reading this that are like you know can super relate to everything, which I thought was, uh, you know, really clever. Oh yeah. And, and the other thing that t- a testament to the way Spider-Man is written is, um, <laughs> there's so many superheroes between Marvel and DC that go evil at some point. And, you know, maybe Peter does. And I just don't think of like this huge arc where he kills half the galaxy, but, um, <laughs> um like Hal Jordan or whatever, but, um, <laughs> but no, like he could easily rob a bank or there's a line that he could cross, to you know he locks up some bad guys but keeps one bag of money to himself there's so many things that he could have done and he doesn't which i think is such a is a great like character bible you know when you're writing spider-man that these are things he would never do you know so yeah yeah i mean certainly i related uh as a kid just to be 
it was great to imagine a, a, a nerdy introvert that was super powerful and did all this cool stuff and was really outgoing, uh, in his alter ego. And that certainly inspired me in life. Uh, but I, so I could relate to that. And that's part of why, I, you know, have so many Spider-Man things around my house. There, there's also, there's a sweet spot of that character too, where Peter has these very relatable problems. And like JL was saying, there's definitely things he could do to solve these problems instantly. Um, but he chooses not to do them. Like, yeah, that's, that's a decision he's making, but like that is itself kind of like a really interesting power fantasy for someone who has some of these problems in their own lives where it's like, how great would it be to like, yeah, I still have these problems, but now I could do something about it, but I won't let myself go there. You know, so it's like noble for that. Yeah. yeah, Like (laughs) gives you a little bit of like the feeling, a little control over what you're dealing with. It's, it's, it's very compelling. So yeah, this is just the first of, uh, I think a three part story. Um, the master planner story at some point in the very near future, uh, we'll all find out who the master planner is. Um, and it's more exciting than the, uh, the nickname implies. Uh, so that's, that's Spider-Man for the month. Um, let's go ahead and take another break. Um, and then when we come back, uh, Rob, if you'd be so good as to walk us through what the fantastic four were up to this month. Oh, heck yeah. All right, cool. So we'll take a break. We'll be right back here on Marvel by the Month. Welcome back to Marvel by the Month. Let's jump into the Fantastic Four Meet the Inhumans. Uh, This is Fantastic Four, number 45, written by Stan Lee, art by Jack Kirby with Joe Sinnott, uh, 1965. Um, Among Us hide the inhumans so like amazing spider-man number 31 fantastic four number 45 picks up right where the last issue left off medusa has been carried off with the satyr like gorgon who's been stalking her halfway across the globe Uh, dragon man who had been chilling at the bottom of a lake near empire state university flew off with sue who he has a crush on reed ben and johnny were trapped under the rubble of an abandoned building that Gorgon collapsed on top of them to keep them from following him. It's like a 20 story building. It was pretty epic. Yeah. But it was, you know, one of those many abandoned buildings in New York city, um, that the city's so famous for. Uh, (laughs) It's so handy. Yeah. (laughs) Between last issue and this issue, there's a lot of just like abandoned parts of New York. And it's like, really was, was that accurate to 1965? I don't know. We're gonna have to find someone who was there at the time and, and actually talk to them about what New York was like in 65. Yeah. I feel like if you were just had a side business of scavenging wire and copper or whatever out of buildings that were going to fall any second now due to a superhero battle, that right. would be a pretty handy. I bet there's some people in Jersey just making a crap load of money off of this. Um, <laughs> so, so, okay. So the first things first, the fantastic dudes rescued themselves from the rubble without too much trouble. Um, Reed sends Johnny after Sue and Dragon Man. He uses his supernova flare power to blind Dragon Man, who is very sad about it. Um, but Sue stops Johnny from actually hurting Dragon Man. She says she'll handle him. Sue tames Dragon Man, who carries her back to the roof of the Baxter building and behaves himself. So Dragon Man's like a a very big fire-breathing Labrador. 
Yeah, you know, well, he, yeah. he's very childlike. I mean, like, uh, I think it's right after Johnny blinds him. Like, he looks like a toddler almost, like with his arms in front of his eyes and just this really sad face. Um, so, yeah, you're you're very quickly starting to get this idea. It's like, oh, OK, I get it. He's not actually a bad guy. He's just this incredibly innocent, like Frankenstein-like character. Yeah. So then Johnny heads inside and decides to call Doris Evans, who immediately breaks up with him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Why? Because Stan and Jack needed him to be able to go out for a walk and immediately fall in love with a beautiful ginger-haired girl who's just hanging out in an extremely run-down neighborhood. It was hard to tell if that was the collapsed building or not when we first see her. Um, he tries to approach her, but a gale force wind whips up. Uh, once it disappears, so has she. Yeah. Ooh. And this scene, there's something just, I don't know, it, it's almost very cinematic when you first see this woman, she's like sitting under a street light. She's in a white dress. And it's just there's something in contrast to her environment. Just it's it's very a little unsettling. Um, it's very mysterious. Like, why is she there? Um, yeah, it seems almost dreamlike just the way. Yeah, the, I, I at first I wasn't sure if that was what was happening or Johnny's head hit his head again and was you know imagining things <laughs> right um, there's a lot of really clever little clever panel play like even the page right before that you know and johnny's um you know upset um you know ah that chick there's something strange about her and he kind of looks like a real jerk it's like he's framed in red and he's not in any other panel and it's like you know it's it's this focus on this uh it's like it's like the really great play with color and so you know yeah. when she's under the street lamp, it's all green around her except for this splash of yellow that she's in. It's all it's like really it's really amazing. Yeah, yeah I love these washes in these early comics like that, and they they just the color layout tells its own story. Um, yeah. I think by this point, that's Marie Severin doing all that. She just makes it pop. Yeah. Um, well, the so the next day, Johnny is still extremely preoccupied with thoughts of the the mystery woman. Uh, he returns to the same neighborhood later that day and sees her again. This time when she runs off, he flames erupt between them. So not a gale force wind, just flames. Uh, but Johnny absorbs them. Oh, it's that word. Uh, absorbs them into his body, which causes the mystery lady to think you must be one of us. Why didn't you say so? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, so what is all that about? Yeah. So the plot thickens. Um, so there's definitely something going on with her. Um, so we've seen her, we've seen wind kick up. We've seen fire kick up. Where's this all going? Well, she introduces herself as Crystal and brushes off Johnny's concern about her being alone in a bad neighborhood. Uh, she's not alone. She's got a weird giant dog named Lockjaw with her. I love Lockjaw. Uh, I do too. Uh, so happy Which to see. Which I also think, by the way, is like, you know, he's concerned that she's alone in this neighborhood. He's the one that's been creeping on her for the last two days. Like, <laughs> that's he's true. the one that's coming after her. <laughs> like, he's the one that she needs to worry about. Like, I'm gonna, I gotta meet this woman. <laughs> it's true. He's pretty much stalking her. Um, so he is the creep. Uh, of course, we. it's Johnny Storm. Um, so Lockjaw has antenna growing out of his head, which he uses to open a secret entrance under some rubble. Uh, Crystal invites Johnny to meet her family and refers to humans in a way that makes it clear. She doesn't think of herself as one, yes. which is one of my favorite tropes. When I meet people, uh, <laughs> you start referring to, to humanity, like in the third person. Oh, we're eating human food. Yeah. Stuff like that. It's great. <laughs> um, 
So meanwhile, back at the Baxter building, the FF are trying to get Dragon Man into his new quarters. Uh, but Ben doesn't have the same maternal instincts that Sue does. So it quickly turns into a brawl, of course. Of course. Uh, Reed has the jerk line of the issue. Oh, man. When Sue expresses concern for his safety, he tells her, stop sounding like a wife and find me that gun, lady. <laughs> uh, oh, my God. I, I missed that. Oh, I have no idea how I missed that. What page is that on? Uh, bottom of page 12. Oh, no, it's right there. I just didn't see that that balloon. Oh, that that's so funny. I skipped right over that. Oh, my God. That's Oh, you know what? And again, he's framed in red. So whenever one of them says some jerk thing, they're they're splashed in red behind them. Uh, yeah, yeah, I like that a lot. Toxic masculinity gets a red background. Um, <laughs> Sue locates the tranquilizer gun, uses it on Dragon Man. Then they tuck him into bed, and only then do they realize that they haven't seen Johnny for a while. Uh, they're like, we're, they're dealing with one toddler, you know. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it's <laughs> like we, we only have bandwidth to deal with one child at a time here. Uh, so Johnny's with Crystal in a huge subterranean dwelling. Um, she introduces him to Karnak, who's also an awesome character, who quote, has the power to find the one weak spot in any object and thus destroy it. Karnak is great. He, he's just, he's like a little guy, like a little wiry, muscly guy with, I can't tell if he's got a big head or just a big helmet, but he just carries himself like this sort of like, almost like a monk or like a martial artist or something. Everything is very deliberate, uh, never smiles. Uh, he's one of my very favorite characters. Yeah, I would love to. Uh, there was a recent run with Karnak um, that I think Warren Ellis might have mm-hmm, written. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, it was so great to see Karnak introduced and pretty much be true to that character right from the very first moment that he's yeah. introduced, which I did not expect because sometimes these characters go through a long evolution um, to become more, you know, dimensional. Right. So, <laughs> um, but uh, and not that Karnak's super dimensional, but he's just an interesting character. Then, okay, so then Gorgon and Medusa and a scaly green guy by the name of Triton appear. Uh, Medusa convinces Johnny to flee, which he does, despite Gorgon and Triton's attempts to stop him. Mm-hmm. So he just meets a few more Inhumans and bails. Uh, Johnny flies up in the sky and makes a flaming four to summon his teammates. Reed, Sue, and Ben hop onto Reed's new air jet cycle and fly to Johnny. Uh, I gotta tell you, like this, the first introduction of this air jet cycle, I'm like, oh, that thing looks badass. Then you flip the page and I'm like, oh, that thing looks super janky. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It just depends on the angle you're looking at. It. Yeah. It's yeah. The, the first angles above and then the next angles underneath it. And then it just looks like sort of shower parts or something, you know, um, <laughs> it's like, there's no way if you land it, it'll just break into a thousand pieces it's like the gyrocopter guy from from mad max and the road warrior <laughs> yes <laughs> where you're like somebody's gonna knock him out of the air at some point just a gust of wind is gonna knock him out of the air yeah yeah um and, and even in the when you see how delicate it is it's still a pretty cool shot um so as johnny is catching them up on everything that went down we see the inhumans on a crumbling rooftop above them Karnak hurls a huge section of brick wall at them, which Ben smashes. Just as a fight is about to begin, the final and most powerful inhuman arrives on the scene, the mighty Black Bolt. To be continued. So Black Bolt is someone who the other inhumans have been sort of mentioning 
in passing. Like, uh, I think when Karnak first meets Johnny Storm, it, it, it's a great meeting. Uh, he shakes Johnny's hand and then like immediately throws him over his shoulder. And, and as he's walking away from Johnny, he says, I don't fear anyone except Black Bolt. And you have no idea who this is, but, you know, now he's here. Um, and he's so impressive. He doesn't even say anything. Yeah. He's yeah. a real strong silent type. <laughs> Between this issue and uh, the previous issue, so this is like the first two of, I think, a four-issue story that introduces the Inhumans and everything, they're very, very action-packed issues. Like, a lot of stuff happens um, in these, and it's it's really like a huge contrast to the Spider-Man story, which is a lot of, you know, drama and emotion and, you know, a, a lot of plot, uh, whereas this is really just, you know, Kirby going all out and doing big fight scenes and cool designs and in these weird environments and like very alien uh, technology and, and things like that. Um, and then he's got Joe Sinnott inking him, which is just making everything look fantastic. There's so much going on. It's like the, it's like we've made this reference before, but it, it's like end game where you're like, I just met like 16 characters. Yeah. Um, or, or there's characters that we've met that have suddenly dusted off. We've got this dragon man storyline and uh, yeah, it's, it is contrasted to, uh, to Peter Parker's, I mean, we do meet some more characters, but they're not exactly giant dragon androids with diapers. They're Harry Osborn, you know, <laughs> right. um, who, I mean, like Harry Osborn does ultimately wind up looking kind of like a dragon guy in diapers. So, you know, that's true. Yeah. But for now, he's just, uh, some, some guy at college. Uh, yep. <laughs> with with really weird hair. He gets it's genetics, man. Well, that yeah, that's fantastic for um any any other last thoughts. My only takeaway is that when I was younger, I was aware of who the Inhumans were, but for whatever reason they just weren't in a lot of the comics I was reading at the time. Um and I don't think I had read like how the Inhumans showed up in the Marvel universe uh, until fairly recently. So um, but this is just like, this is the beginning of a really, uh, fertile creative period for Jack Kirby. Um, he's really like refining and dialing his art a lot. Um, and, and Joe Sinnott inking him has a lot to do with that. But, um, this is like really kind of the beginning of where, uh, especially in Fantastic Four, but Kirby is just throwing idea after idea after idea at the wall. Um, and so many of them are sticking. It's really it's kind of incredible to watch. Like this is the start of this era in fantastic four where it's like basically Stan and Jack figure out how to write a perfect silver age comic book as they're doing this. And then they just start doing it and they, they do it issue after issue. I was going to say, it's like, uh, ACDC working out there, uh, you know, their, their hit song yeah. and then just making that hit song some more. But with Kirby, he's like, he's inventing a whole pantheon of heroes and like gods, basically, uh, f- not for the first time and not for the last time, yeah. but, uh, just for him to introduce, you know, you get these things where Ditko's like introducing one new villain named the cat burglar. And, uh, <laughs> then you get the inhumans, which is the, these all these kinds of crazy people with crazy powers we don't know where they're from that's this is where kirby starts to just yeah turn that crank and it's so it's not the acdc song it's a uh, it's more like uh i don't even know what the musical analog is it's probably closer to the beatles um mm-hmm. just he you know they've got hit songs but now they're using a calliope and backwards noises and uh you know an orchestra uh, yeah. on top of it so yeah it's really blowing up 
in a good way. So that's uh, Fantastic 445. Um, let's go ahead, uh, take another break, and then uh, we'll circle back around and talk about what the X-Men are up to this month. All right, welcome back to Marvel by the Month. It's time to meet the Sentinels in X-Men number 14, written by Stan Lee, layouts by Jack Kirby, art by Jay Gavin, who's Werner Roth, uh, writing under a pen name so he can still continue to work for DC at the time, um, and inked by Vince Coletta. The name of the story is called Among Us Stalk the Sentinels. It's important um, for non-story related reasons, as well as some story stuff that we'll get into in just a second, but it's the start of the X-Men going to a monthly publishing schedule. Um, it had been a bi-monthly book up until this point, um, but now uh, apparently it had been successful enough that they pushed it into a, a monthly rotation. So uh, we're going to be covering X-Men um, in every month uh, of comics that we're reading from now on. So uh, this issue picks up right after the last one, um, just like uh, Amazing Spider-Man and, and Fantastic Four did. Um, this is starting to become kind of, you know, de rigueur for uh, Marvel Comics, where it's all telling one extended story. Um, so there's a lot of just, you know, picking right up where uh, last month's last panel uh, dropped you off. Um, so the X-Men are recovering from the injuries they sustained while they were fighting the juggernaut. Um, and oh, by the way, yeah, like when you said last month, I love that right out of the bat, they said last ish. What happened in the last ish? Yes. Yep. That's total Stan. Yeah. <laughs> it's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, it, I think we're not very far away from him just going real all out with the slang, um, which will wind up getting pretty goofy, pretty quick, um, which I'm also <laughs> looking forward to. But yeah, so uh, so they're they're pretty much over their injuries from fighting the Juggernaut, um, and uh, Professor X uh, decides to surprise them with a reward um, for their valiant battle uh, against his stepbrother. Um, they're gonna uh, they all get a vacation. Um, school's out for the summer, et cetera, et cetera. I, I do. I love uh, just how all of them are just shaking off this thing. It, it's put over really well. The show how much strain they were under. Although within two pages, everybody's fine, you know, right, uh, yeah. but it, it gives the idea that they've been limping around for a couple weeks or something. Yeah. Um, like Iceman's <laughs> Iceman sitting in some weird ice sauna looking super creepy by the way. But I <laughs> oh, <love yeah>. it. <laughs> like he looks more like an ice cube in these earlier things than later where it's just like, I'm kind of a bluish ice person. Like, right. It, it's a, it's like a creepy ice cube. I'm, I'm here. I like it. He's the very like rounded off like a diamond, but then has this pretty detailed face. And that seems weird to me. It's like it's like in the SpongeBob episode where they have like Squidward and he has that really realistic face. I don't know how to describe it. It's like it's like half cart. It's it's super creepy. This yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it, it's like an ice mannequin that's been brought to life um, and is just walking around creeping everyone out. So, uh, so the X-Men have, have got, uh, permission to, uh, go on this vacation. So it's, it's funny that they're getting a vacation because I'm also pretty sure that it wasn't that long ago that they all got their diplomas from Professor X. So like, A, what is the cover story for them still being at a school? And B, how are they getting a vacation from a school that they're not attending? <laughs> but yeah, anyway, it's, they, it's your parent, man. It's like the never ending star chart. All right, guys, now you get a reward after you do this. And maybe <laughs> next week you'll get another star and another 
weekend off. Uh, so they're all very excited about uh, getting rewarded with this uh, time off, but there's some trouble on the horizon that the X-Men don't know about yet. Uh, there's an anthropologist named Bolivar Trask, which is one of the great all-time villain names. Um, mm-hmm. And he says that the greatest threat to humanity's survival isn't the Cold War or the nuclear threat. It's mutants. Um, he terrifies a room full of reporters with visions of the future under mutant rule, and they all practically trample each other to get out the door to file their stories about this mutant menace. Classic, you know, fear tactic, you know, rabble rousing. And uh, yeah, he's vilified this this entire group of people. Uh, seems so. I mean, that could never happen in the real world. No, uh, no, no. Very unrealistic. <laughs> um, so uh, back at the X Mansion, uh, the kids are getting dressed in their civilian clothes. They're going to be heading home uh, to enjoy this time off. If they had stuck around just slightly longer, though, they would have seen Professor X reading the morning newspaper, which has the result of Trask's fear-mongering in it. Um And so, yeah, extensive coverage of the mutant threat and what it means to humanity. Um, So uh, Xavier wastes no time calling up the National Television Network and demands the opportunity to debate Trask publicly. I like he gets right through. Hello, National News Network. This is Charles Xavier. (laughs) This is also something that they don't talk about much with with him. They, They note that. They'll arrange it immediately because it would be a privilege to present a scientist of your stature on our network. So you, we forget that, you know, he is a professor of something and, uh, and a renowned scientist. So it right. reminded me of that. I was like, I, I thought he was just a, you know, he's earned a lot of teaching degrees and now teaches kids to not blow things up unless they want to. Yeah, and, and I love uh, I love some of the imagery that accompanies these articles. My favorite is the kind of Spock-like alien-looking mutant with like, he's got sort of like very pointy uh, bowl cut, almost like a Romulan hairstyle. Uh, and he's like cracking a whip as human slaves are, are doing his bidding in front of him. Um, it's just like, it's very silly, like 1950s sci-fi, um, like alien invasion type stuff. Yeah, it looks very Flash Gordon, you know, yeah. that kind of style. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, so Xavier asks for this time to debate Trask, um, and apparently that's how TV works on Earth-616, because he gets his <laughs> wish immediately. Um, and uh, so they're in the TV studio. Uh, Professor X is presenting some very calm, very rational arguments, and we see how they are going over with the folks watching at home, and it's not going over super great. These folks might as well be wearing Make Humanity Great Again caps. Um, they are just <laughs> not buying it at all. They're, they're saying, uh, oh, what does an egg-headed old stuff shirt like him know? Um, it's, the, it's just terrible things. Yeah. He's got some nerve. No kid of mine is a mutie. And uh, yeah, he, they're just being offended by the, his intelligence. Yes. So it's, it is very now again. Xavier is trying to you know, actually have a debate here. That's not what Trask came to do. Um, he came to unveil his army of sentinels. Um, so he pushes a button and they uh, come out of a, a curtain um, backstage. Um, so these they're you know, mutant hunting robots. I think if you've if you're at all familiar with the X-Men, you've seen them, you know, if not in the comics, then in the in the movies um, uh, and they In this first appearance, they're a little different than the ones you might be familiar with uh, from later on in X-Men history. Um, So for starters, they're only about 12 feet tall, like about twice as large as uh, a normal height person. Um, 
they've got bright red arms and legs, uh, purple boots and gloves and a chest and an orange face. It's a pretty wild uh, color combination. No, I mean, they look like like a 60s Doctor Who villain where there's like somebody wearing like in polyester pajamas with a big helmet on. <laughs> yes. You know, like they look so dumpy. Yeah. And the Sentinels that we know we're used to. <laughs> it is it is really weird in in that like, you know, comics is a medium where like your budget is irrelevant, right? Like you don't need a special effects budget. But somehow they do look super cheap. <laughs> yes, that's a, that's really on the nose. They that's uh so I held that up instantly to Barb because we have the my my huge extravagance is we have the X-Men pinball machine. Right. So uh we one of the modes when you're playing the game is to fight the sentinels um and i was like look how dumb the sentinels were when they were uh introduced and we just laughed hilariously at them for a while uh just <laughs> how not threatening is that and they all each have their individual number like carved on their you know whatever main belly piece whatever right. that thing is yeah I was trying to think of what the armor name is for your the torso and that's blank uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah so they you know it's it's definitely a very rough draft of the sentinels at this point um but uh one thing never changes about the sentinels um and that is that they immediately ignore all human attempts to control them or get them to do anything um <laughs> so like literally one page after they're introduced they blast trask with an energy beam um and they just announce that they are taking over yeah they're they're also cool classic um you know, ideas of AI, you want us to protect all humanity. So um, we're just going to control our actions. We, you can't be trusted. You're a human. Yeah. So it, it, as this is all going on, uh, Professor X summons the X-Men to the TV studio. Before they can arrive, several of the Sentinels fly off with Trask, um, who they just blasted. Uh, the X-Men tussle with the Sentinels who stayed behind. Um, and suddenly the last Sentinel just falls over and they're not sure why. So the professor uses sort of a an off-label application of his powers um, to read some vague impulses in the Sentinel's cybernetic mind. Um, he figures out where their lair is, and he also learns that there's something called the Master Mold waiting for them there. The other thing I like about this section of the book is that uh, we get another glimpse of the what is it? The, the Greenwich Village coffee shop where Beast and Iceman <laughs> hang out when they're off duty. Um, <laughs> So we get a sense of what, you know, 43-year-old Stan Lee thinks that, you know, young kids are doing uh, when they're hanging out and, and participating in countercultural activities. Oh, I got to read you the poem the guy is saying. Oh, um, it's a good poem. It, it uh, Like it's out to be in and it's square to be hip. I mean, dig the scene. A nap isn't a nip. There you go. <laughs> wisdom. That's Beatnik wisdom. Snap, snap, snap. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Um, So anyway, they know where uh, Trask's lab is, where his headquarters are. And back there, uh, he is trying in vain to convince the Sentinels to let him go. Um, But like you said earlier, Rob, uh, they say that they don't take orders. They were created to protect humanity. And the only way to do that is to conquer humanity. Um, (laughs) So, you know, there's no Asimovian laws of robotics at work here. The X-Men arrive at the location that Professor X pulled from the Sentinel's mind, uh, but all they find is a grassy hill. Suddenly, the entire hill rises up from the ground, revealing a fortress under it that starts blasting them. Uh, To be continued next month. There you go. First appearance of the Sentinels and uh, anti-mutant hysteria 
uh, is firmly established in the Marvel Universe now. Yeah, we I think Mutant Menace is on one of the headlines. Um, so this is where it, it really gets rolling. And, and it's a villain. You know, the Sentinels are a villain that Professor X can't decide he's going to, you know, wipe out their minds, which solves 95% of all X-Men battles. Uh, so it, it's at least threatening in that way. I know we've mentioned this on the podcast before, but it, it bears repeating because I don't think we've talked about it for a little while. Like, this is definitely where Stan starts using the X-Men as a way to talk about issues of discrimination and racism um, and xenophobia uh, without actually having to use real world examples of that, which might make his comics very unpopular in certain parts of the country. So, you know, as you're seeing this and, and you're seeing, I mean, I was joking about it when, you know, I was talking about how the reaction of the people who are watching the debate between Xavier and Trask and, and how, you know, they're basically the MAGA stereotype. But I mean, that's that's what Stan, it's pretty clear is that's what he's trying to do here is is just show it's like, look, if you're the kind of person who thinks that mutants are scary and they don't deserve like basic human freedoms, then you're not the good guy. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty, it's very clear and it becomes more clear. And, and his, you know, as he writes notes in the bullpen and as he responds to letters and, and as he develops this comic, like this is what it starts to be about. All right. So random question. What was Jean Grey doing during all of this? Because right, there's a huge yeah. battle going on. And then all of a sudden she's in the train that they're happened. To, she's just riding in the train that yeah. they're battling under. And she's got a suitcase with her and she's changing into her costume. Like, did she bring the suitcase with her? Was she on the train to go off on her weekend and just happened to see this happening? Yeah. So many questions. I, I actually had to reread parts of this to like understand. It's like, wait, what? Like, why is she in a train? So she does say, like, as they're all heading out on vacation, She's going to take the train to go home. So that's why she's on the train oh, okay. at that point. So like when the angel intercepts some of the the sentinels that are flying there and then she like pulls angel down to the train to rescue him from them. That's how she comes back into it. But yeah, she has almost nothing to do in this entire issue. Um, I know. And then she also demonstrates her ability to levitate herself, which is pretty yes. crazy. Yeah. Uh, and it's just like this minor note in the. Uh, you know, it's like, oh, she can, uh, telekinetically fly basically, yeah. but it's just like this six feet and then that's done and onto the rest of the story of things blowing up. Yeah. Another like super action oriented issue. I mean, there, there's definitely some plot here, you know, and in introducing the, you know, the anti-mutant hysteria and all that and that sweet beatnik coffee bar scene. But, um, oh, man. but other than that, it, it's, this is just a, a knockdown drag out fight with a bunch of robots. So, and I do like, there's like the quiet moments. So like when Scott Summers is walking away, Xavier's looking at him and, you know, there's so many thought balloons back then where it's like, he carries his loneliness silently locked <laughs> inside him. Yeah. I know the pain of such loneliness. <laughs> there's these like weird quiet moments where you're like, Oh, okay. Oh, somebody's going through something yeah but yeah it's good it's point it's poignant i love it yeah it's like quintessential x-men that's the what i what you remember most about the x-men usually at least for me is all of those all of those things about how they feel inside not necessarily how they fight one another or yeah yeah it's uh, yeah. because of these little thought balloons that establish all these things quiet interludes between punching robots <laughs> <laughs> oh 
All right. Well, um, I think so. We have come to uh, the end of the issues that we're going to uh, be talking about. Um, so now I think the the only thing left to do is just to talk about uh, the panels of the month that stuck out to us uh, this month. So my panel of the month uh, this month, uh, it comes from an issue we didn't talk about, um, but it is uh, something that was released in September 65. Uh, so mine comes from the Captain America story in Tales of Suspense number 72. Uh, it's page seven, panel one, and it's uh, it's George Tuska art over a Jack Kirby layout. Um, so this Captain America story, it's a uh, this is the first part of a three part story where the Red Skull in the final days of World War Two he hid these killer sleeper robots um, in different locations around Europe. This is the day where the sleeper robots are awakening, um, and and he's going to have his revenge from. At this point, we think beyond the grave. So uh, this first sleeper robot uh, wakes up, and it is is just awesome. Um, it's it's got these like giant pincher hands and a glass bubble head and accordion arms and spiky boots, and it is just so awesome and retro. Uh, it, it, it's surrounded by thoom 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 sound effects, um, and it, it just it feels so much like a, like a Mike Allred illustration or something like that. Um, but yeah, it, it looks like it has stepped like straight out of a golden age comic. And uh, I just love it so much. It's just like classic giant killer Nazi robot. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. I mean, it's it's very cool, but it's also super ridiculous at the same time. It looks like a, a water tower come to life. You know, yeah. it's like so, so awkward. <laughs> it's and how it it, just how it looks. So it's it's perfect for that time too. Yeah. What about you? What do you got? I, so in a journey into mystery, um, the, the Thor comic, which sometimes is referred to in the footnotes as in Thor number one, like Stan's just starting to call it Thor. Yeah. Uh, in his, in his little notes. Um, this is, uh, journey into mystery number one twenty two, page 14 panel three. Uh, Thor is scaring a journalist who's figured out that he is Don Blake or lame Dr. Blake, sorry, um, by he's scaring the journalist by taking him to the distant past and then the distant future with his spinning thing he does where he can travel through dimensions and time. Um, so it's just super weird cosmic Kirby. Uh, it shows earth about to collide with another planet in the far flung future. Uh, and some kind of bug and primate like beans that are coming out of crater holes, spout things. Um, <laughs> the overall effect is like Kafka and Seuss did LSD together. It's, um, <laughs> it's just weird and it's more than half of the page, just this yeah. one big panel. Um, yeah, it's like a, a fiery planet with ant hill crater things with things crawling out of them and this couple other planets right in the like very near on the horizon but it's just another one of those things where kirby's like and here's the future there you go just one panel that whole subplot i i'm sure we'll get into it you know in a another episode or two but uh it's just it's a wild subplot like that journalist has been like keeping jane foster locked up in an apartment so that thor will rescue her and then like he'll see him turn back to Don Blake. I I don't know. It's, it's, it's very elaborate. I don't, I can't even fully remember all of it now, but it's a very strange subplot. And then Kirby just takes it 
to ridiculous extremes, as he's so good at doing. So, uh, JL, did you have a panel of the month this month? I was strangely silent because I didn't read uh, a lot of the other issues like you guys <laughs> did. I did the um, double bronze as you would say, (laughs) the bare minimum. Um, No, I think mine was modeling uh, with Millie, probably. Um, You know, she was... (laughs) I'm just joking. Although I did look through modeling with Millie, and it's actually pretty cool. Well, there Uh, you go. There was a panel like a Lichtenstein painting where she's crying because someone thought that she stole some designs during Fashion Week in Paris, and she didn't. Um, Oh, poor Millie. But I have to tell you, this comic is actually my jam. Uh, I think I'm going to go back and read a bunch of modeling with Millie. All right. Sounds good. I'm glad we could turn you on to that. You know, no, I'm not, I'm not joking. It's, yeah. 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 Stuff. I have a friend who uh, very much did the same thing. He grew up with comics and then start, he draws comics and just started to uh, get way into the modeling comics. He just over the last like five, six years. So yeah, it happens. I, I'm afraid it's going to get me too. <laughs> There's one character that looks like I like a dead ringer for Joan from Mad Men. Like oh, really? Wild. Yeah, even like the red hair, green dress. Good. No, I, I I would say my favorite panel is one we already addressed in the Fantastic Four where they're flying the jank mobile. <laughs> yes. Like an entire page where it's like it's, you know, a little kid would be like, oh, this is so cool. But anyone like over 12 would be like, oh, this is not a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> Especially since the thing is on one side of it. And Sue is on the other side, but somehow there is not a weight imbalance in any way whatsoever. Uh, I love that thing. It's, it made me instantly think of all of the toy, like, you know, the first drones that came out that you could drive with a iPad or a phone or something that you would fly up and somehow just cr- like crash. A, like my, I watched my brother just ruin uh, probably two uh, of the early models of things just by wrecking them into something or flying is before they were smart enough to make them come back and land to the coordinates they left from and fancy stuff like that. And I was just like, that, that toy looks like it's going to break right away. And that's what the first thing I thought of as you were talking about that, the undershot of that, that, what is it called? The fantastic bike or something. Um, it just looks like it's just a strong wind is going to break off part of it. You know what it looks like (laughs) is when you, when you have like an old, like a modeling kit, and it's before you break all the pieces out of the modeling kit, how they're all together in that like grid yes. of random pieces. That's what the bike looks like. <laughs> it's, it's like it hasn't been assembled yet. Right. <laughs> well, gentlemen, we've done it again. We've recorded an episode of Marvel by the Month. Uh, I think this is number 55 or something. Like We're on wow. quite a streak here. Uh, JL, thanks for joining us again. Yeah, thanks for having me back. Absolutely. Um, I, I wish we could all be in the same room together, but um, it's wonderful to hear your voice and, and talk comics with you. Uh, follow us on the social media. We got a nice Facebook following, facebook.com slash Marvel by the Month. Uh, Instagram account is still going strong at Marvel by the Month. Um, and then uh, you can find us on Twitter, which we don't use very much, but it's at Marvel BTM. Um, and the website, of course, uh, where you can buy the Stay Inside and Read Comics t-shirt uh, is marvelbythemonth.com. I think that's it. Am I missing anything? I think that's it. All right. Well, then, in that case, until next week, my name is Brian Stratton. And mine is Rob Mill. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay inside and read comics.
they're doing this um this week's comic well i guess there is no week comics this week technically so like in 2032 or 2031 or something you'll be like back in covid there was no new issues this week yeah what are we gonna do it's it's so crazy oh man we i guess we've got 20 years like 12 years from now yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) crazy we'll have spin-off podcasts by then i mean come on right yes yeah exactly or you know marvel's cease and desists will have you know shut us down so (laughs) 